Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us here for Horse Sense Street Smart Investing, the podcast. I'm Ron Corning. Clark Hodges is here, of course, from Hodges Capital Management and Alan Ebright, who's uh, with Client Relations. Good to see you both, as always. Good to be here, Ron. Good All right. Now, here. we're talking about your, and when I say your, I'm pointing into the camera, your behavior at home, the investor, how you'll likely behave when you start Investing, it's important, isn't it, Clark, that we sort of warn investors before they start about some of the triggers that may sure. sort of get to them at their core. When there are down days, those are the days you hear from your folks, right? You bet. You're going to have times where you're kind of panicking. You're thinking, hey, my, my value might have gone down or you get a statement and your value has gone down. Human nature is what it is and you're going to react and you're going to need maybe some handholding. But that's definitely something you don't know until you have your own money there at risk. So you keep them grounded, Alan, by some basics of history, right? Looking first at the S&P 500, you say what to people about looking back at history to predict kind of the future? Right, I mean, if it was so easy as to sit down with a prospective client or a new client and just hold up the, you know, the hundred year chart of the S&P 500 and show them this gentle upward slope and say, look, if you just stick to your plan, this is the trajectory of your money. Um, that would be a really easy way to do things. But unfortunately, there's always different scary things that are going on out there um, that a client might call in and question about. And you have to be able to talk with that client and address their concerns so they don't panic at the wrong time or for the wrong reason. Well, here's an example. I'm, I, I love sharing this with you guys because I feel like um, you're rubbing off on me. The more of these we do, the more I'm getting educated. And now I find myself um, kind of helping my friend. So I have a friend who's 60-ish. Um, and for a long time, he's been a writer in LA and in New York. So he's been part of a union in the Writers Guild. And so there are pensions there and so forth. He's had real estate that he's invested in. This is the first time that he's found himself investing in the stock market. And he's pretty proud of the portfolio he's put together based on suggestions and recommendations, not to the point where he might call on you all to be an advisor. And Clark, here's what he said to me the other day. Is the stock market going to tank? It is going down by the second with the announcement of the interest rate. Uh, interest rise. So that was on yeah. Wednesday, December 15th. We remember on that day in the morning, we were anticipating a statement from the feds, right? right? And the market was way down. And I said this, my guy will always say the market looks for an excuse to correct when it's had a bull run like this. At Hodges, they think the fundamentals of the economy are still strong. Yeah. Are you proud of me? I'm very proud of you. You did really well. <laughs> Hopefully he listened to you. <laughs> he lit And in the afternoon, he said, oh my God, you were right. I almost so, sold several things I'd had. He'd only had them for several weeks and he was ready to sell because he started to see some of those gains disappear between the hours of eight in the morning and, and one in the afternoon. Those are the moments we're talking about for investors who are still managing their own money to weather through that. But that's not easy to do always. No, it's not. Just think about the aspect that it's priced every minute, basically. If his real estate holdings were priced every minute, he might get panicky on that as well. But it's it's a thing where the market starts over every single day at 8.30. And you know this game never ends. My dad used to love to say this. We're in a game that doesn't end. There's no fourth quarter. There's no final whistle. And so in the, in the heat of the moment and you're worried and you're panicking a little bit, and you think, I got to sell. 
it's usually the wrong thing to do, but it is very understandable that that happens to people. But there are moments when you're managing someone's money and whether the market's up or down, you know the fundamentals of a company might be changing or something might be happening or you and you anticipate you might want to hedge your bets a little bit. That does happen, right? You bet, you bet. And the, probably the best thing to do is buy more if it's a good company, mm -hmm, right? Because mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. that is probably the best move. But it's definitely understandable, in my opinion, because you got your money at risk and all of a sudden you're entering a, a realm that you did, never really experienced before. Well, and there's a larger audience of people who can get into the market with less money through platforms like Robinhood and so forth um, and, and other companies that are, are allowing people through similar platforms to invest small amounts and then build um, as time goes on. Alan, I think it's interesting that Clark said if you could check your real estate minute by minute. You can't check it necessarily minute by minute. However, Redfin and Zillow do this thing where they alert you every month on the value of your home. That's a brand new thing. Now, whether it's accurate or not is completely up for debate, but people will see their value of their home fluctuate month to month. And based on that may make an impulsive decision. Maybe we should sell now. It looks like it went down this month. Will it go down next month? And I say all of that only to make the point, the same is true with investments. People can now check everything and get on the internet and research stuff. And you want to warn people about online rabbit holes and confirmation bias, right? Yeah. And well, the first thing I'd say about, about Redfin and Zillow is uh, sounds like they're adding a lot of extra anxiety to real estate ownership, and that may or may not be a good thing. But I digress. Um, so if you if you take just the typical person, they're always going to have some sort of worry, and they will take that worry and they will start looking online. And the natural tendency is confirmation bias. You only start looking for information that supports your worry and you can really get led down a rabbit hole that will lead you to, oh my God, I not only do I have to sell some of the things I own, I have to sell everything and get out of the market. What I tell a client is when you're at that point, you give me a call and we're going to have a very long discussion about what you're reading because I might have a contrary opinion to that. Um, and that's how I like to work with people. And that's how advisors should work with people. Well, you also know information about the fundamentals of a company that aren't necessarily written about on a blog or on Reddit as people speculate and only see things at a surface level, right? I mean, that's why you have a team of analysts here. They dig a little deeper. That's correct. And, and, you know, we lean on them as well. So when clients have a question or a concern about some of the things they hold, what's the reason for this? Why do you own this? Conversely, uh, sometimes we're going to have a reason to sell a stock, right? Why did you sell the stock? We've got logical answers for all of those that we provide to our clients. Um, let me ask you this. Are there times when people are searching for something online, maybe to support their speculation about a stock, and they come across information about some other sector, some other stock, some other business that might actually send them in a positive direction? Uh, yeah, you have that. And you've got... Uh, um, you know, people look around, they see something, they call us. And the, the beauty of, of having an analytical group is maybe we have already taken a look at that industry and passed temporarily for these specific reasons. Mm -hmm. Or maybe a client comes to find out we do own one or two stocks in that industry so we can have a conversation about that. All right, let's, tr let's move on to something else that's, that can be a bit of a trap for an investor starting out, and that is, would you call this shiny object syndrome? 
I mean, it's where everyone's talking about something that's new and sort of sexy. We've had this conversation yeah. before where we've said, uh, this may not be a sexy play, but it's a good one. So your friends may not you know, be talking about it, but that doesn't mean you're losing money on it either. Um, shiny objects, okay. Pockets of speculative investments that tend to pop every five year, pop up every five years or so. What's the shiny object right now that investors are talking about and that could be a trap? Clark, you want to go over a little bit? You know, uh, yes, I'll, I'll take it. You know, electric vehicles are real big and the EV craze and the charging of those. I could see that being a trap because some of these companies and I know of one that recently came public and it's got a lot of fanfare has yet to create and actually have a car driving on the street. Mm -hmm. And yet the valuation is outrageous. So that is a, that's a recipe for disaster given a different market than we're in right now. If we were in a different market, that kind of stock would probably reprice and yeah. reprice would not be a good thing. So it would seem obvious as you frame that, that there's a missing component here, the actual product. Nobody's driven it. They don't know how they drive. They may not like it. They don't know if there are problems with the first run of the vehicle because it hasn't been built yet. I mean, all of those things would say to me, shouldn't we stay away from that yeah. entirely? They haven't retrofitted their factory yet. I mean, it's there's so many things. And so, yeah, you should probably stay away from something like that that's pretty blatantly obvious. But what you do is you get caught up in the television program that you're watching that's talking about it. You're getting the their forum opinion, you're reading, the right, tweets you're seeing, the friend at the party who's loving it mm -hmm. and thinks it's the next best thing, you know. So and and it might be, but if it is, it's still a valuation that's probably fully priced. If it is the next best thing, are those the kinds of plays that give investing a bad name? Where, and this is a little bit of myth busting. People believe uh, investing is gambling. Well, yeah. yes, I think if you're investing that way, you you are gambling a bit, are you not? The definition to me is a little bit gambling-ish, but I will say this. Gambling-ish. Hold on. Let me write that. <laughs> That's like truthiness. It's gambling-ish. But even if you buy this overpriced stock um, and you own it in 10 years, I would say you're taking the gamble out of it because you've owned it long term. My problem is the short term nature of things. Oh, I'm going to buy it and I'm going to be out of it next week. Mm -hmm. The Robin Hood side of the, of the investing world, that's kind of the way... They do things. You mentioned looking up, you know, something about your stock and you finding something else. To me, that's a danger because you end up saying, oh, I like this better. I'm going to sell what I've already owned and buy this instead. Then you turn into a trader and you're churning your own account. Or you're chasing. You you're this. chasing. And then you turn back. Yeah. Because listen, I've made this mistake where I get into something and it makes a little bit of money. And then I said, I'll use that money to get this. And then six months later, I look back at that stock that I sold and it's doubled in right. price. And I thought, why didn't I just hold on to that? It, it's I almost, good to have a thesis when you go into yeah. a stock. What is your end result here? Are you buying this electric vehicle company because you think they're going to sell more than the top seller? Mm -hmm. Well, then you got a long-term hold on your hands. And if something changes, some bad news comes out in the meantime, and you're still convicted that that's the reason you bought it, it helps to stay in it a little bit. But I if think you don't we, have that, you may just trade out of that, go to the next thing, and that's uh -huh. not good. Um, I, I think that we've struck a nice balance with this podcast in trying to acknowledge the value of 
accessibility to the stock market through platforms like Robinhood or Webull or whatever it yeah. might be. Um, and institutional investing and what you all do, which is advise people on their long-term plan for retirement, building wealth, um, et cetera. But I do feel like when you have in the palm of your hand that app and the line is going up and it's going down and you've got a list of stocks and people are tweeting about various things, it's almost like the psychology of a video game. Mm -hmm. If you have it, why aren't you playing it? Right. You need to make a play or you're not using it. And, and I, how do we shift away from that mindset that this just makes an easier accessibility to the stock market as opposed to something we have to play? Correct. I mean, it is a triggering mechanism, in other words, right? And it's something that maybe it brings you back to pay more attention to it. So when I have clients, you know, I've got clients that are that are all over varying degrees of the spectrum, very grounded, very common collected to they just get a little more rattled a little more easily. I tell people, one, if you're going to look on your iPhone at the value of your stocks, toggle it to percentage instead of dollars. Because looking at something that might be down a half a percent or 1% is a lot more palatable to look at than a stock that might be down 4 or $5, but it's the actual same math. And so a lot of people, they like that idea. Um, for the very skittish ones, I say, just look at your statements monthly or even quarterly. Mm -hmm. uh, most people are going to hire us for multiple decades. And the way to, to as a, I talked about holding up the chart of the S&P, the way to have returns that mirror that over the long term is just to stick to your plan and try as hard as you can to ignore the shiny objects mm -hmm. and ignore the, the, the negative news rabbit holes and talk to your advisor and get good counseling. You well, will have a good long-term um, uh, success rate. Well, to your point about percentages, on, on this day as we're sitting here, uh, the Dow is down 404 points. I see that number. That looks like a large number to me. I click on the percentage and it's 1.13%. I think, well, 1%'s not that bad. Right. In an up 25% year, that's 1% not, is nothing, not, right? Nothing. But on this day, that number causes some people to think, are we crashing? Is the, is, is the market crashing? So you, that's a really, really good point. And literally, something that just occurred to me over the last few days as I was toggling between percentage and the actual number thinking, well, the percentage isn't that bad. Right. Um, a SPAC, Clark, what is a SPAC? People will hear about that online again, especially if they're investing on their own, even if they have an advisor, they will hear about the SPAC, S-P-A-C. They've sort of right. come into popularity probably over the last couple of years among layman investors. What is it exactly? You know, a SPAC is a pool of money that some financial uh, managers, some hedge fund managers or somebody's put together. And they said, this money we were, we're raising, we're going to go out and purchase a company with it. They raise the money first. Mm -hmm. They don't know which company they're going to they're going to buy. But the investors are trusting them and their management skills and their company picking skills to invest that money for them. Then they go out and acquire a company and it's a really fast, cheap uh, way for a company to get public because it's a public company immediately as opposed to going through the months and months of uh, you know financials and all that kind of stuff that the big companies force you to do that are not SPACs. And, and, and do these SPACs 
they enter the market at $10 a share. Is that standard? Yes, it's standard. And from there, they can either go up or they can go down below $10. Right. Um, now, when you tell me that it's an easier, more efficient way for a company to go public without having to file for an IPO or an initial public offering, my first thought is, well, are they going to close that gap? Is that, is that a loophole? Is that a means by which companies that want to go public can get around some regulations? Is there in that some red flag? Yes, for sure. I, yes. I would say for sure. And to give you a, a comparison over time, if you go back to the late 90s, the IPOs that were happening in 96 and 97, most of those were pretty decent quality. But as as the the demand for new tech continue to increase at an exponential rate. As you got into the late 98, 99, 2000, the quality of these companies that were going public was very low. You might've even had some questionable management teams in there. You can say the exact same thing with these SPACs. And to touch on Clark's point about you, you fund this pool first and the pool is funded based on the management team's expertise in whatever this SPAC is going to go purchase. Mm -hmm. Any company that is, could be on the block to sell themselves to the SPAC knows that the SPAC money is on the clock for two years. Because mm -hmm. if they can't find an acquisition in two years, they wire the money back to the investors. So what happens is these SPAC companies end up overpaying for most of these acquisitions something goes haywire with them that drives the stock price down. So a year ago, these SPACs were just all the rage. And now we're seeing the bad side of it. A lot of these things have, have really been taken to the windshield. And let's do diligence on those companies that are going to wow. be publicly traded companies. Very yeah. good point. So, so I have looked at some SPACs and, and, and looked at sort of the description and, and done a, a deeper dive and found out that it's based wherever founded last year with two employees. So are these two people who have some money management knowledge and connections who reach out and pool this money together and then begin a search for a company that they want to acquire? That's the nuts and bolts of it. That's yep. the nuts and bolts. So if you don't know who those two people are or what their track record is, are there some SPACs that have a good track record of uh, money management and the heads of the SPACs have consistent um, success. And those are the ones that you would focus on. As an institutional uh, investor, do you, in, do you invest, Clark, in SPACs for your clients? You know, I haven't really looked at it like it's a SPAC or it's not a SPAC. If it's a concept I like and maybe I'm familiar with the company and I'm going to own it long term, then that eases my mind. But at the same time, you know, these managers check out the fees they're getting to do these deals. And that kind of tells you a lot about it. Follow the money. Now, some managers are great. Some aren't so great, but they all know how to raise money. They know so how to raise it. It makes it a little dangerous. Yeah. Interesting conversation because, again, we're sort of straddling that line between people who are continuing to manage their own money and they're finding out and hearing from people or reading online about various investment opportunities. Some are working out. Some are not. They may eventually decide they need the expert guidance and advice of what you all offer here. And, and that remains to be seen, right, among our viewers who will um, reach out and say, I think I'm ready to get some expert advice because I've made some, some bad choices along the way by nothing other than just kind of not understanding some of what you all understand, right? Right. Yep. 
Yeah. And and the 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 goal again, if if you can limit your mistakes, um, in investing, sometimes it really is what you don't buy that is the right decision. Mm -hmm. And another famous quote that's in Don's book, and I, I can't remember who said it, but sometimes the hardest thing about stock investing is to remain invested. And so for those people that want to look down that the negative news rabbit hole, um, that is usually going to lead you to make just a, a classic knee-jerk reaction mistake that's going to cost you uh, longer-term returns. Well, I'm glad we can wrap it up with a last word. From Don Hodges, I think that's really appropriate considering this podcast is based um, on his book. Thank you, guys. As always, we appreciate it. Thank you for listening and for watching. I'm Ron Corning. We will see you next time. Hodges Capital Management Incorporated, HCM, is an investment advisory firm registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission, SEC is a wholly owned subsidiary of Hodges Capital Holdings and serves as investment advisor to the Hodges Funds. HCM is affiliated with First Dallas Securities Incorporated, a broker, dealer, and investment advisor registered with the SEC. This discussion is not intended to be a forecast of future events and should not be considered a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Investing involves risk. Principal loss is possible. Investing in smaller companies involves additional risk, such as limited liquidity and greater volatility. No current or prospective client should assume that information referenced in this communication is a recommendation to buy or sell any security or is a substitute for personalized investment advice from your individual advisor. HCM does not provide tax or legal advice. Consult your tax or legal advisor for any related questions. All information referenced herein is from sources believed to be reliable and is provided as general market commentary and does not constitute investment advice. This material was created for informational purposes only and the opinions expressed are solely those of HCM. HCM shall not in any way be liable for claims and makes no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced and are subject to change without notice. To learn more about the topics we covered in this episode, visit HodgesPrivateCapital.com. Continue the conversation on our Facebook page. Listen and download this episode and previous episodes on Apple Podcasts and on all other podcast platforms. <laughs>